we are preaching from the, the book of Revelation. And uh, for a few days, we'll be focusing on the seven blessings that we find in the book of Revelation. We saw the first blessing for those who hear, read, and hear and obey the word of God. And we are going to see the second blessing. Actually, the second and third blessing, but related to another central theme that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as I said in the beginning, as I started this series, we have a new understanding of what it means to be blessed. Blessedness is not having a lot of things. That is how usually we understand blessing. Having a lot of material things. We think that more material things we have, the more blessed we are. But that is absolutely wrong. In the light of the Bible, blessing is also not having or having everything that we desire. Health, wealth, and prosperity. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew Gospel 5 and also in Luke, Luke's Gospel as well, he said something which looks so strange. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who thirst. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, how can that be? It's a contradiction of terms, isn't it? Being blessed in the midst of all this, but we don't consider hunger and thirst. We don't consider pain and suffering as blessing. But Jesus does that. So what is blessing? Blessing is, as I began with the working definition of it, in the very first sermon which I preached two Sundays back, in the book of the first sermon from the book of Revelation, I defined it as that transcendent joy that is characteristic of being the kingdom of God. Unpack it. The transcendent joy, that joy that is above all other human concerns, the joy that is above, far above, and totally unrelated to, to all human situations, including adversities like hunger and thirst and persecution and reproach and pain and suffering. In the midst of that, the people of God still feel a transcendent joy, a joy that transcends all this. Because they belong to a different kingdom. And that kingdom is the kingdom of God or the rule of God, the reign of God in our lives. Now we'll be, I'll be repeating this definition again and again. And as we go forward, it will become clearer and clearer as well. Now we come to the second and third blessings in the book of Revelation. The first one we saw was from the, sorry, uh, it was from 1.3, that is Revelation 1.3. The second blessing is 16.15, and the third is 22.7. I would like to do these two as well. Let me read these passages to you first before I proceed. Revelation 16, 15 reads, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who says, stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Behold, I am coming like a thief. And the second blessing is also related to the theme of second blessing of Jesus Christ. 22.7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy 
and of the office prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming soon. Now the first blessing that we saw in last week, Revelation 1.3 is related to the scripture, the word of God, the Bible. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud and keeps it. Isn't it? Keeps it. That was the blessing given. The reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and those who keep what is written in it. Now the second blessing or second and third blessing which we will be dealing today are related to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Second coming of the Lord Jesus. This is the central theme of the book of Revelation. And I said many times by now, the last, over the last two weeks, the church is an end time community. This is a community that is waiting for the coming of the Lord. They have a hope. They are expecting community. They live their lives on their toes. They stand on their toes. Because they don't really belong to here, but they belong to somewhere else. That is eternity. And that is what the church is. And the second coming of Jesus is a, one of the central, most central teach, teaching of not only the book of Revelation, but the teaching of Jesus, the apostles as well, has emphasized the fact or the teaching of the second coming of Jesus. We'll be looking at this theme again and again and again. So I'm not going to exhaust everything that I have to say right now. Because for the few weeks now, as long as I stay in the book of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus, or which is called Parousia, will be the central focus of all the sermons. Now this is not only in the Bible. You may not know that this is such a, what, what I can say, this is such a, such such a central theme even for humanity and many religions even believe in the second coming of Jesus in one way or other. Quran for example, Quran believes that Jesus, they believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and they believe that Jesus will come back. Surah 43 is the, the passage that we often quote in this regard. Let me read it to you. The Quran says, And Jesus shall be a sign for the coming of the hour of judgment. That means that God is going to judge this world. And how do we know? They believe that Jesus will come back and he will fight a battle. Let me read it completely, full of uh, the, the, the whole of it. And shall be a sign for the coming of the hour of judgment. Therefore have no doubt about the hour. But follow ye me, that is the straight way. And it's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then hadith, not only the Quran, but other Islamic authorities also say this. 65, I think 656, the hadith 656 says, The hour will not be established until the son of Mary, that is Jesus, descends among you as a just ruler. Islam is expecting the coming of Jesus and he will break the cross that is the Christian idolatry and it goes on to say that. So what will happen? Quran believes and the secondary scriptures like Hadith believes Jesus will come back. He will fight the battle with the evil, the, the infidels. He will die because they believe Jesus did not die. But before dying, he will rule for 40 years. You can notice the obvious uh, differences. Again, sometime in 19th century, Baha'ism, he claimed, Baha'u'llah, the founder in the 19th century, he claimed that Jesus has come back and has come back in his person. He said, I am, the, I am Jesus who has come back. He was so audacious that he even wrote Pope, to Pope Pius one or many letters claiming that he is the Pope and they should recognize him. The Christians should recognize him. 
but Baha'u'llah passed away. The Ahmadiyya religion, or it's a part of the, they also believe that Jesus has arrived in the person of their founder, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. Rastafani religion, I don't know how many of you know about that cult. This is um, Ethiopian, Jamaican, I'm not very sure about it. But they are famous for rap music, that I know. They believe that Haley Selassie is, the, is Jesus who came back. But Haley Selassie was assassinated in the communist revolution in, revolution in unfortunately, in Ethiopia or exiled. I'm not very sure. But do you know that even Hinduism believes in the coming of Jesus Christ? Paramahamsa Yogananda, a yogi, the life of a yogi is a famous book. He claims that Jesus has come back. And Jesus, that is an inner experience that we have. Jesus is as in our lives. He has come back and he lives in our lives. Now what I'm trying to say is that this doctrine is a very fascinating doctrine. What doctrine? That Jesus will come back. Some people say Jesus will come back to fight a battle, to die. That is what is going to happen. Some people believe that or Baha'u'llah says that I am Jesus. I have come back. Jesus has come back in my person. Ahmadiyya says the same thing. Rastafani hoped that Haile Selassie is the Jesus who will come back. But it all failed. The Hinduism, Paramahamsa says, you know, Jesus is coming to your life. And that is your, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But what does the Bible teach? I explained this simply to say that this has become such a central theme for everybody. You know, so from Islam to Rastafani, Jamaican religion, to all these people, even to us, the Paramahamsa Yogananda who claims that, he doesn't claim that he is Jesus. He says all of us can experience the second coming of Jesus in our own soul, in our own inner experience. That is what he says. But what does the Bible say? Bible and all these are drawn from the Bible. You remember that. There is no teaching. The primary teaching on the second coming of Jesus is in the Bible. But Quran in 680 and the Hadiths much still later, they have understood it in slightly different way. But what does the Bible say? Bible says very, very clearly three things I want you to remember after this, at the end of the sermon. First, the second coming of Jesus is personal, not just a spiritual experience. Second, it is futuristic. It will happen in the future. It hasn't happened yet. And third, coming of Jesus is a descent from heaven. It is not somebody rising up from this world. Let me explain these three things. Jesus' second coming is a personal coming back. He will come in his person. It is not a spiritual experience that you have like Yogi Paramahamsa has or advise us to have. He, it is a personal appearance. Now, for example, let me quote one verse. Acts chapter 1 10 to 11, Acts chapter 10, uh, 1, 10 to 11, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples were gazing into heaven when Jesus ascended from the, maybe from the peak of the, the hill or the Mount of Olives. And the two men, supposedly angels in the cloud, they told, the, they announced, to the disciples, the 12 disciples, by then 11 actually, or more maybe. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Stop gazing into heaven. At heaven, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way. You saw him go into heaven. Jesus will come back the same way you saw, visibly, the same person 
will come back as well. And that's what Revelation 1, 7 says. Jesus speaks there. Behold, sorry, uh, angel I think. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That means Jesus will make a personal appearance. We are not waiting for a spiritual experience. He will come personally. So remember the key word. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be personal, not spiritual, not a mystical experience, not a feeling that we have. Secondly, it will be a descent coming down. We already saw that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. And let me read again in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at the imagery there. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Just like a president of a country, he will just come and he will descend from the plane, Air Force One or Air India One or whatever it is, the official aircraft. He will just descend when with the cry of command, just like the military commander who were in charge with the, uh, announcing his coming, coming with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead shall rise first. It is not somebody turning to be Christ. It is not somebody being evolving into Christ. It is his physical, personal return from heaven. And thirdly, it is futuristic. I can read a lot of verses, but when Christ will come, he will establish his rule, not just for 40 years as Quran says, but forever. The Christians, oh my God, they break their heads about how will come seven years, seven years it was, three and a half and three and a half, thousand year reign and then post-tribulation, pre-tribulation and a whole lot of things are dividing the churches. I don't want to go to the nitty gritties. I want the larger picture. And I want, I know one thing. Christ is coming to transform this world. We have read Romans that the whole creation is eagerly waiting for the coming of the Lord, for their redemption. He will inaugurate a new world and where there is no pain, there is no sorrow and all that. That much about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I will come back to this theme again and again whenever it is needed. Now in these two passages, the two blessings that Jesus pronounces, we read it and let me read it one more time, 16.15, Behold, I am coming like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And 22.7, that is, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Here is this hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there is a responsibility as well. I will divide these passages into two parts. One is the action on the side of Jesus Christ. The secondly is the responsibility of those who hope in him or those who are redeemed by him. Now these are the two parts we see in these two passages. And that is the secret of blessing. What is the action of Jesus? Jesus will come. And it requires from the side of the believer some action and attitude changes as well. So let's look at this one by one. 
I will start, begin at 22.7, which says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. What is this? What is Jesus' action? It's clear. He is going to come back. But in this passage, he qualifies it. It is not simply coming back. He says, I am coming back soon. Soon. Now the problem, the riddle, is the word soon. When he said this, it was, when it was written in this way, it was AD 95, the book of Revelation. Now, this is 2019. Almost 2000 years are gone by. The Jesus who promised that he is coming soon has him come. What does that mean? Will he come? Yes, he will come. When will he come? We don't know. But he said he is going to come soon. Soon. And Peter, sorry, Paul also said the same thing. Romans chapter 13, 11. Besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Why? Because salvation is nearer to us, that is related to the eschatological salvation, now than when we first believed. We believed Jesus for our salvation. And that is going to come, it's closer, closer, much closer than this. So, the problem is, the longer it gets for Jesus to come back, the weaker we grow in our faith. That's a reality. So what does soonness mean? There's a creed which classical Pentecostal churches like this believe that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the soon coming king. That is so precious, so central to our faith that Jesus is the soon coming king. Many times we try to understand soonness in terms of the length of time. That is not what it is. It has to be reckoned in God's own time. Soon has to be considered or understood in terms of God's own time. How will God reckon the time? People will have, man, this is a very silly example, but may illustrate. I have, and I know you know, everyone knows that people reckon distance and distance and time differently. When um, somebody says, when I go to a dentist and when the dentist or his, his or assistant comes out and I have an appointment at 2.30 and at 2.30 or 2.25 the person comes out and says, the doctor will be with you within five minutes. I know. How much is that? Five minutes. You know? Yes. Airlines announce. Same thing. They say the flight is delayed by 20 minutes. It depends on the service. It depends on the company. 20 minutes can be 2 hours. So once I was uh, I was landed because of some problems in the other airport in Calcutta. And they said your flight will take off. There is a problem in the other airport. There's a sandstorm or something like that. So we will be here. We will we'll take off within 30 minutes. You know how much it took? How much time it took? Because I was Fortunately, I had a booking with King, the once uh, great, once great, Kingfisher, the, the king of the good times. They are just down there. They are our neighbors. And I was flying that airline. I am so sad that it failed. Because all other airlines kept on announcing 20 minutes, one hour, two hours, and kept their passengers in the airport, sleeping in the airport, the floor. 
the holding area. But Kingfisher said, it is 20 minutes, then it was one hour, then it was four hours. Then finally when it took off, I could not take off to the next place. I had to come back after 36 hours. That is what 20 minutes means. I came back, not to Pune, they took me to Bombay and there I had to take a taxi at my own cost and get back. So 36 hours, but they put us in Taj Bengal. Praise God for that. Now that is not what we are saying, talking about that. But there are various ways of reckoning time. And God has his own way of reckoning time. And Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. If you take that passage literally, how many days have Jesus taken since his ascension? Two days. That's all. If you take that passage literally. And I would like to take that passage literally. It's only just two days, brothers and sisters. Now, when did you get saved? Many of us may have a date. Some of us may not have a date. I have a date. Some of us may not have. But at least you may know roughly when you were saved. So how many years have you been waiting in God's own time since your salvation? How many years? Not even a year. Not even a day. Right? So now, the soon simply means that he will come in his own, God's own time. But he will come up when we are Totally unexpecting his time. He's coming. Matthew, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 14. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That is the meaning of soon. He said, I am coming soon. But if you take it in your own time, Jesus has terribly delayed his coming. But if you reckon it in God's own time, Definitely you haven't waited enough. Isn't it? So, one thing we are certain that Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming soon and we also infer from all this that Jesus may come in our own lifetime. Now, whether Jesus comes whether in our own lifetime or even after we die, the responsibility part. This is what Jesus promised. I am coming soon. That means don't get tired. Don't go impatient. I will come. I am coming soon. But that means the soon coming king demands some responsibility. What is that? That responsibility is the second part. So 22 7 again. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Keep the words of this prophecy. I am going back to 1.3 where we read that blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy aloud, the one who hears this and those who hear and keep the, what is written in it. Keeping the prophecy, keeping the word. Responsibility is to live according to the word of God. Living in the biblical way. Keeping Bible as your, the guidance for your life. If you don't do that, and you are simply waiting for the coming of the Lord, he will come soon, but we will miss him. So what is the responsibility of the hopeful community. The responsibility of the hopeful community is to regulate, to condition, and to guide their lives according to the scripture. That is what we should do while we are waiting for. And those who do that will be blessed. Those who do that will be blessed. 
Now, this keeping the word or obedience will require many things, at least four things or three things I would like to uh, recall now. Endurance, and we have to have resist the enemy while keeping the word, and we have to conquer. First of all, endurance. Verse 14, Revelation 14, 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. Here is a call for endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus Christ. Living a life, having a lifestyle or a biblical lifestyle is not an easy thing. Having a biblical lifestyle is not an easy thing. It need, requires endurance. And what is endurance? Endurance is keep on doing the same thing. Persisting in spite of all forces or temptation against it. You know, I have found this very difficult. It's easy to flow with the current. But when you have to take a stand and say, the Bible says so. I, because of that, because the Bible says so, I won't do it. And keep on doing that thing again and again and again. There are lots of things in the Bible which may seem not easy. But endure the suffering. When we do certain things, we may <coughs> have to face a lot of problems. For example, I, let me come to this very practical problem. A few months back, the Lord asked me to pray specifically to pray, and we prayed every Saturday here for a few weeks, that Lord sanctify us, the church, by the truth. Sanctify us from the truth. Remove lies from us. I'm not saying that we are lying to each other. Because lying can be, or is, not can be, is something that is absolutely against the word of God. Why do people lie? Because first of all, they don't believe in God. They are trying to work out their own solutions. For that, they need to lie about their lives, about their react, emotions, about whatever, what all those sort of things. Are you happy? Yes, Pastor, I am perfectly happy. Are you all right today? You look sad. No, 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 no. I had a bad cold, that's it. But that person is going through a depression. But hides the feeling. That's lying. So you can sing, think of lies in various states and forms and formations. But keep the word. And that is, when we are, while we are expecting him to come, we, we regulate our life, we control our life uh, with the resistance from sin, resisting sin in the light of the word of God. When we keep the word of God, that is the way to endure, endure. What is endurance? Sufferings and pain and other things. I asked a person recently, why did you sign that document? It's a lie. You signed under that. Why did you do that? He could not endure. He knew there will be consequences. If he didn't sign, there will be consequences. So he signed. Though it is against his conscience, though that declaration or statement or whatever is on the paper was a lie, blatant lie, he knew it. He signed it to avoid consequence. A person or a church which is expecting the soon coming of the Jesus Christ cannot make such compromises. But what happened to that man? Three or four months later, the consequence that he feared happened to him. The very consequence he tried to avoid happened to him. He became a victim of what he tried to avoid, finally. 
that is God's justice. But those who endure, endure the, by keeping the word, they are the conquerors. That is what 2.26 says. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Third thing, they are the resistors. Those who endure the, the endure for keeping the word, they are will be finally conquerors, and they will have to resist. These are all very difficult passages, and I'm not going into the details right now, because we may touch this later. Then the dragon became furious, and the women, woman, and went off with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. So keeping the truths of the Bible or living according to the scripture is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. There will be resistance, there will be problems. But with all the problems it presents, they endure and finally they will be conquerors. That is how an end-time community lives. An end-time community has this hope that all the, in spite of all the sufferings, in spite of all the pain, if we keep our lives according to the scripture, God will bless us. And that is the blessing. And that is the joy. Now, let me move on by saying this. I have come across people who literally obey the Bible. Sometimes out of their ignorance. Secondly, he talks about the spiritual readiness. Blessed are those who are ready spiritually. Now let's look at 16.5.15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go naked and be seen exposed. The next action of Jesus, which requires a response from us, has to do with his coming as a thief. Now, thief is not a good metaphor, isn't it? But in the Bible, there's a difference between a thief and a robber. A robber is somebody who steals somebody's property by violence. Okay? A thief is somebody who steals somebody's property or whatever is it, stealthily, without nobody noticing him. You know, he will use cunning and all that. So what does this mean? A thief, Jesus is not coming to thief as a thief in the sense only one or two aspects of it. He is coming stealthily without nobody noticing his coming. In a time without announcements, he is not going to come making an announcement, maybe three months notice or two months notice, even a month, even a second's notice. But when he come, you all will see him. Definitely. But at the moment, nobody knows. Jesus says, even I don't know. Only the Father knows. There will be a surprise when he comes. Because he comes at a time when nobody expects him to come. That's First Thessalonians chapter 5, 2-3. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. The sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. When will he come? As a thief. Thief means he will come a time when nobody expects him to come. Now I read widely. And if you ask me, what do I read, you will be surprised. I will read only good things, definitely. But recently I read the biography of a thief, a robber. He was not a robber, he was a thief. 
Stealing was his natural instinct. And he did it in a remarkable, very appreciative way. And this man says how to steal. Um, don't use all the tips that I'm giving you now. And he says the best time to steal anything from a house is when there is some festivities or celebration going on. A wedding or a birthday party or wedding or something like that. A celebration is going on. That is the best time to enter a house and walk away with some belongings there. You know why? Because there is a lot of people. So once they will not recognize if, a, if they just notice somebody uh, going from the bedroom with something, they will not notice because they will, oh, it may be him, it may be him. So that is the best thing to do, one tip. Second tip, he says, the best time is between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Because that's a time everybody will sleep. In a house, there is a party. Because usually if you, there are late sleepers, isn't it? Late sleepers. But have you come across early rise, risers? There are few. But everybody, this is the window where everybody will be fast asleep. They're tired. And if you even walk in the midst of this, the, the people lie in, in the bedroom, nobody will notice because they'll be very tired. The point I'm trying to say, I'm not giving you some uh, uh, tips to make some extra cash. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus will come like a thief, not to rob somebody's property, but to redeem those who belong to him. That's the difference. We belong to him. He will come to take us. But he will come at a time when everybody says it is secure and peaceful. First Thessalonians again. While people are saying there is peace and security. The people in this house, the marriage house, the house where the marriage is going to happen, they say, oh, everything is in order, checklist, yes, sari, ornaments, pants, suits, cars, and the limousine, and everything is done. We can now sleep. So they are fast asleep. And that's the time the, 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 um, the thief will walk in through the front door. Similarly, some people are so complacent. Now, why did Jesus use this metaphor of a thief? He used it for two purposes. As a warning. As to make us ready. Always ready. The purpose of using this metaphor is simple. That we should be ready every time any time he may come. It's a warning that we should not uh, we should not be found not ready at all. And this is very well ex exemplified by the parable of the ten virgins and all that in the Gospels. Now what are we supposed to do? Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming now unexpectedly, anytime. That calls for spiritual readiness. And two metaphors are used here. Put your garments on. You know, let me read that passage again. 16.15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not be found to go about naked and be seen exposed. What are these garments? God has provided the people of God with garments. Just like he provided Adam and Eve robes with skin robes. He provides his salvation to his people. 3.18 We read in 3.18 I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. The garments, 7.14, I just read one and I see, garments are the salvation. I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great celebration. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, the garment is what God has provided, the salvation that he has provided. 
But what is the nakedness? Nakedness is removing that to be found without it. It's a judgment. Now what happens in Christian life most of the time is this. That is, we start with great enthusiasm. I still remember the day I was saved. Great enthusiasm, great love, great drive to live a life that is, but as we wait for God's coming, is not coming, and we can do whatever we want to do, isn't it? You know? So when I say I'll be back, but if somebody to whom I said I'll be back, be ready with that, and I didn't come back that time I promised. I delayed. And it's in all likelihood that person may continue to postpone what I'm asking to do. They say he may not come. He will come tomorrow. He may not come day after tomorrow also. He may postpone. At the end of the day, when I come back, then I will find that he hasn't done what I have asked him to do or her to do. Simply because they did not believe. In a similar way, people who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who keep the word of Jesus Christ, just because he is, in, is not in sight, is not yet in sight, may keep on become slothful in their spiritual life. And they will miss this blessing. The blessing of hopeful waiting for the Lord. Now finally, let me conclude here. It's very strange. It's very, very difficult to preach these sort of things to an urban congregation. Why it is difficult to an urban congregation? For various reasons. One, for us, many of us, the present reality seems to be much better than the heaven that God has promised in the Bible. We seem to enjoy every day, every moment of our life. So heaven is something which is superfluous, unnecessary. Eternity is something that we can avoid. So we don't usually think about the coming of the Lord. The better he don't come, it seems, for many. Better is that he delay his coming. The second problem is, all the blessings, they have an entirely different notion. We have an entirely different notion of blessing. It is having a lot of things. That is what we think. But the blessing that God, the Bible promises is not that. It is being joyful in spite of all adversities. Now it is easy to ride on our feelings. When we are feeling happy, we think everything is going fine with us. It is not. It's a fallacy of good result. Which means that if things are working well, then everything is well. No. Things may work well, end well, even things are wrong. You can, I can take my car to Kashmir and bring it back. Okay. But that doesn't mean the air conditioning of the car is working well. The car is still able to roll and it may achieve what it is supposed to do. But that doesn't mean that is a good car. Some people say that why I need Jesus Christ in my life? Everything is going fine. No, we need the Lord in our life. We should be living an expectant, hopeful life even when everything is going fine. And when everything is going back to, that's the blessing. The blessing is to have that transcendent joy, the joy in the Lord, which transcends, which goes beyond all the human adversities, in spite of all that happens around us, to be remain joyful in the Lord. That is what blessing is. Few Syrian Christians. When their brothers or wives or husbands or family members are slaughtered right in front of them, 
they remain i should have brought a video to show you but i could not i couldn't plan that they remain joyful what's the secret of the joy they know one day a day comes when the tears from their eyes will be wiped out when the lord comes the secret is when he will descend in the from the clouds and the voice of the community by the voice of the archangels and the sound of trumpets that's the joy i'm many times i'm not critical or judgmental sometimes i see people coming to prayer meetings they can't close their eyes i used to wonder why this person cannot close their or his eyes and then i see them take taking the phone and going out they have worked from 10 to 5 or maybe 9 to 7 but they can't detach their mind from the office and they hold the phone in the hand they're still ready for a call can't close their eyes in a prayer meeting why because you are so tied to these earthly realities what i'm saying is at least for a few seconds full minutes two hours of the sunday service take off your mind from the earthly things fix your eyes upon jesus that's a blessing even when your house is leaking a rented house even when your car is rusting you should have the joy i should have the joy and the secret of the joy the blessing is that the lord is coming and with that expectation i live that is i keep the word i should keep the word i should be spiritually ready i should have my garments on i should not be found naked i should be spiritually ready because the lord is coming soon